Good morning. My name is Neil Feeney. Like Tim just said, I am a member here, uh, just like a lot of you. As Stephen said this morning, um, it's just a blessing to have members of the church help with the service, right? Because um, our church services aren't meant to be the Stephen's show, right? They're meant to be um, the God show. And one way that we show that is by um, making sure that the only constant in the pulpit, in this plastic pulpit, isn't Stephen, but is the Word of God, whether that's by him, by me, or by um, someone by another church who has come to help out. And it's really nice to give Stephen a break every once in a while. So today we will be in Philippians 4, Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9. It's in the brochure um, that we will be just reading our worship session in. So, um, I've seen a lot of things on social media, and I have been struck by it myself, of this, just the surprise that it's suddenly August. It feels like just yesterday it was March, and we were told to quarantine inside, and then suddenly you fall asleep and you wake up and it's August. Uh, but a lot has happened in those first two-thirds of the year. 2020, therefore, is shaping out to be quite the historic year and not necessarily for the best reasons. Here's just a quick reminder of the big events as we prepare for the last third of the year. In January, Australia was devastated by huge wildfires with over 3,000 homes being lost, killing around a billion animals, driving some almost to extinction. While around 30 people died from the fires, over 400 people died from the smoke afterwards. Also in January, we had tensions of war with Iran. In February, we had the uh, impeachment and acquittal of President Trump, which is big no matter what your political beliefs are. Also in February, there was a massacre in New Delhi, India, when a Hindu nationalist rampage killed 50 people. In March, there were tornadoes in Tennessee, which destroyed over 40 homes. And, like I mentioned before, since March, we have been quarantined and have new pandemic living. Amidst the pandemic, our economy has fell into a recession, the worst since the Great Depression and recently 2008. In addition, we have had huge civil unrest in the United States because of racial inequality, which has led to protests across the entire world. And now, just this past week, we had the massive explosion in Lebanon, as well as two mining explosions in China and North Korea. I don't say all this to make us depressed or to think, wow, this, this, year, this year was really not great. But we have to remember that with all of this in the rearview mirror and with, you know, the threats of a second wave of coronavirus or more political unrest with the election in November, it's very hard for us to feel at peace. And yet, we're told that we have a God of peace, a God who grants us peace and who loves us. He loves us enough to save us from our sins and yet to tell us that we are safe in Him. Sometimes it doesn't always feel that way, especially in 2020. How are we supposed to experience the peace of our God when all of this is happening around us? Is it just as simple as believing in Him and then suddenly all of our anxieties go away, just like that? I think we all know that's not the case. But 
There is an aspect to this God-given peace which is a free gift from our loving and gracious Father. But there is also a part that we need to play to make sure that we draw near to God and receive the peace that has been freely given to us. So like I said this morning, we'll be looking at Philippians 4, 2-9, where Paul writes to the church in Philippi about the God of peace and how that God can be with us. He encourages the Philippian church to seek peace in three ways. Fellowship, joy, and purity. Fellowship, joy, and purity. So without further ado, let's get into the text. Philippians 4, 2 through 9. Paul writes, I entreat Edodia and I entreat Syndicate to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right. So we begin this passage with a plea from Paul for these two women, Erodia and Syndicate, which I definitely mispronounced, to come to an agreement in the Lord with one another. Now it's assumed that these two were at odds about something. We don't really know what that something has been. This is the first time that these two women and the last time that these two women are mentioned in the Bible. Considering that this is included in a formal letter to the church, it must have been something pretty big for them to disagree on for Paul to even mention it in this formal letter. Even though this is the only mention of these two women in the Bible, like I mentioned, we're told a lot about them. Read verse 3 again. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. From that, here are a couple of things that we know about this women, these women. One, they have worked together with other Christians for the gospel of Christ. That is, they are influential, they are hard workers, and they are devoted to the Christian cause. And two, their names are, in, are written in the book of life with the others in the church. What is this book of life? Well, it's not the Bible, even though their names <laughs> are written in the Bible. The book of life is not the Bible. Um, this book of life is mentioned a few times in the book of Revelation, which depicts the end of the world and the glory that Christ shall receive during it. It's that book at the end of the Bible that you're really interested in, but a little scared to get into it because of you know, the dragons and whatnot. In Revelation 20, we read, Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, the book of life is where your name is written if you are saved by Christ. If your sins have been forgiven, if you are truly in Christ, then your name is in the book of life. And therefore will not be an eternal punishment for those who do not know Christ. The point is, why Paul mentions this, 
is that Paul knows that these women are truly saved and are truly Christian. That's why he says their names are in, in the book of life. He adds an eternal um, consequence to these women being Christians. If, you, if your sins have been forgiven, you're truly in Christ, you're in the book of life. So when Paul says that these two women, that their names are in the book of life, he knows that because they have labored side by side with others for the gospel. They have proven their faith, so Paul is convinced that they are saved. But why is this important? Why should this be a factor in mediation between the two? If they are truly saved and are laboring with one another, then they have fellowship together. Remember my definition of fellowship that I presented a couple months ago from theologian John Piper? He said, fellowship is a mutual bond that Christians have with Christ that puts us in a deep, eternal relationship with one another. This bond is one that ties us together because we share the same faith. And as we saw with the book of life, it's a bond that has eternal implications on our lives. Fellowship is that little taste of the relationship that we'll have with each other and fellow Christians as we worship God forever in heaven. So given that context on the book of life, we can see why Paul is pleading for these women to agree in the Lord and why he calls on an unnamed third party to help. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. This true companion is called as such because he or she is also a Christian and shares that fellowship bond with the two women and can therefore help lovingly rather than just sit as a cold, impartial arbitrator. Paul is saying that the work that these women have done is righteous and important, and their relationship with God is righteous and important. So their fellowship needs to be reconnected for them to experience peace together once again. We don't feel peace when we are disconnected from one another, especially someone that we love, and extra especially when it's someone that we have fellowship with. Unfortunately, the more personal the relationship, the more hurtful it is when you are in disagreement with each other. Paul encourages them and us to look back on what's really important, their fellowship with one another. Ultimately, if you strip away all worldly things, All individual passions and desires, whether good or bad, you are left with only one qualifier, your faith, whether you are Christian or not, and therefore whether you have true fellowship or not. Since these two women and their true companion are in the book of life and are therefore saved, that needs to be the foundation for mediation. They are all together in Christ, so they need to agree in Christ. That's why Paul says, agree in the Lord. If the Lord is their rock, their solid foundation, then that's what needs to be considered first and foremost, and that will bring them peace through fellowship. Nothing is worth fighting over to ruin our fellowship, because nothing is worth more than the eternal relationship that we have with Christ and therefore with each other in fellowship. Let me say that again. Nothing is worth fighting over to ruin our fellowship Because nothing is worth more than the eternal relationship that we have with Christ and therefore with each other in fellowship. I think this year, in an election year amidst the pandemic, there are many different perspectives on mask wearing, who to vote for, what should be done to fix our economy. And a lot of us have felt disconnected from each other in the church 
and where we face the danger of many disagreements, especially online. But pandemic or no pandemic? Politics or no politics? We have to remember that as Christians, our most important relationship is first and foremost to Christ and then to each other. Those two relationships are our foundation and have been given to us to keep us grounded and to give us peace during challenging times. If something like politics is being held above our eternal relationship with Christ or our fellowship with each other in the church, then we have lost our solid foundation and will not have peace until we learn to agree in the Lord. Just remember that when all this is over, all the politics, all the viruses, every single tear in our eyes, when the Lord comes back, he's not going to ask you what side of the political aisle you were on. He's not going to. He's going to see if your name is written in his eternal book of life. Your name is only in that book if you have been given the saving faith through Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. That is our foundation. And fellowship is a celebration of that and gives us peace through that. So when disagreements come, not saying we can never disagree, but when they come, and they will, this side of heaven, unfortunately, remember to agree in the Lord. Remember what's important. And remember what will pass away. Having that perspective will give you incredible peace. So Paul has just given instruction and encouragement for how to handle a disagreement within the church. And then he seems to take a pretty hard shift into this next section. In verses 4 through 7, read that again with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In my mind here, I like to think that Paul has switched from a therapy session to a worship song. And that's great, because now we're at the encouraging part. Paul is pointing them to peace because he knows he'll bring them joy. And he's pointing them to joy because he knows it will bring him peace. In the first two verses, we see that we have both joy and peace simultaneously. Look at them again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's joy. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. There's peace. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. There's peace. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. There's joy. Joy and peace here are clearly connected. We also have very strong language by Paul. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Our rejoicing in the Lord, our lack of anxiety, and our prayer needs to be constant and not held back by anything. But how? How do we rejoice always, never be anxious, and always be in prayer? Especially in a year like 2020. This section is very similar to a 
certain sermon that Jesus preached back in Matthew 6 about anxiety. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for its day is its own trouble. What a great passage, right? We have similar themes that are found in both of these passages. One, seek the Lord first. Two, do not be anxious because your Father will take care of you. And three, trust the Lord for whatever will come in the future. Those three things are dependent on seeking and knowing God. We need to seek him to trust him. We need to know him to rejoice in him. So if we need to seek God, what's the first step? Is there a first clue, like a treasure map or a riddle to solve in a scavenger hunt? That would be kind of fun, but also kind of frustrating. Is there a special way to pray? No. Paul tells us that we don't have to go find God like a game of hide and seek because he says the Lord is at hand. Our God is already here. Psalm 145 says the Lord is near to all those who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Think back to the very beginning, even since the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve first sinned, and they hid away because they were ashamed. God came to them. When mankind was in need of a Savior because of our sinfulness, God came to us in the form of Jesus Christ. Even now, here, when we worship, we have our God here and the Word of God and available through prayer. Our God is not a distant God. He doesn't just sit in the heavens judging us. God is all-knowing and all-powerful, but He is also, thankfully, all-good and all-loving. He is here and He loves us. And that is cause for rejoicing no matter what the circumstance. That's why Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God is the one who is in control. So seek Him and grow your faith in Him. We can have joy in every circumstance because we can pray to our God in everything and He will listen. We can be thankful to him in everything because he is in control and all-loving, gracious, and gentle. We can seek him in prayer. He has made a way for sinful man to be connected with holy God, and that way is his gospel. God came down to earth in form of a man, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect and sinless life like we just sang about, then died on the cross and took the penalty for all of our sins by taking the wrath of God in our place. He rose from the grave three days later, defeating the punishment for our sins, which is death. He calls us to believe in the gospel to be saved. And if you have been given that saving faith, if your name is written in his eternal book of life, you are saved and you have eternal reason to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I know for me personally, I think for a lot of us, we're slow learners when it comes to this. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded that our God is here, that our God loves us. And Paul says that this peace surpasses all understanding. And honestly, I have to agree. This makes no sense. If I was God, I would not act like this. I would be too selfish to act like this. 
How is it that Christians with a firm foundation of faith in Jesus can take any heartbreak, any trial or suffering and be at peace eternally? Maybe not in the moment, maybe not say everything's going to be fine in the next year or month, but to be eternally at peace and know that your soul will be okay. How can we still worship and praise together here outside amidst a pandemic which claims thousands of lives daily? How can we be at peace with that? Because, as Paul says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Our hearts can be at peace because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to be fearful of death because he conquered death. Our minds can be at peace because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to know what the November election will bring. We don't have to know what the rest of 2020 or the next decade or the next couple decades will bring because we know that the one whom our faith is in will never abandon us and is always in control. He is here. That's why the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds. Have faith in that peace. Have faith in that God. Have more faith in him than your own understanding because it surpasses all understanding. That's why it's called faith. Our God loves us enough to come near to us, to save us from our sins, to give us his word, his spirit, and his everlasting love. That type of free gift is beyond understanding. We have not done nor will ever do anything to deserve this peace. Praise the God who gave himself as a gift to us. And that gives us incredible joy. That joy comes from having the perspective of the gospel, which leads us to prayer, reasonableness, and peace, which surpasses all understanding. Paul is telling the church in Philippi and all Christians that our joy comes from the Lord who is here and present, and that gives us incredible peace. One more time, our joy comes from the Lord who is here, who is present, and that gives us incredible peace. So Paul has just ended that previous section by telling us that the nearness of God should make us joyful and lead us to prayer. Now we get to see our part in this. Now we get to see how we should apply this to our thought life and therefore what we do. Read verses 8 through 9 with me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In this section, Paul tells us a few things that we need to be thinking about. We need to be thinking about things which are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. It's quite the list, huh? <clears throat> then he says that we need to be practicing these things as we have seen him do. Once we think and act with this purity, the God of peace will be with us. But you're probably thinking, hold on, Neil, hold on. You just said that the Lord is already near to us, that the Lord is already here. As we learned in the previous section, so why do we now need to be pure to have the God of peace with us? God's saying, you can have this gift, but 
Only if you're pure, only if you watch PG movies, maybe PG-13, it depends. I don't know. It's kind of a gray area. No. No. Don't laugh because then I'll laugh and I'll get, I'll get off track. <laughs> Just because the Lord is near to us does not necessarily mean that we are near to the Lord. Let me say that again. Just because the Lord is near to us, just because he gives us this gift of himself, doesn't necessarily mean that we are near to him and that we receive this gift. When we are in sin, we are disconnected from God because we are seeking ourselves rather than him. Our sin becomes a barrier to knowing God and therefore knowing the peace of this God because God is holy. We read that tons of times in the Bible. The most famous passage, of course, is Isaiah, where the angels go around God and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What does holy mean? It means to be completely set apart. And purity, therefore, means to be moral. So if purity means that one was immoral, but is now no longer immoral, you'll become pure, Holiness means that you never were immoral. You don't need to be pure when you're holy because you have already been pure your entire life. You're holy. God has never been and never will be immoral. He is therefore more than pure. He is holy. Completely set apart from any immorality. But our immorality and our sin keeps us away from God because it causes us to seek ourselves and our own vices rather than him and everything he gives. I think if we were to look at ourselves, we could say, well, you know, I'm different from God because I'm not omniscient. I don't know what will happen. I don't have all power. But I think if we look a little deeper within ourselves, we can see that the differences between us and God go a little deeper. He's holy. We are not. The virtues that Paul lists here, are in direct contrast with our vices. But the virtues that he lists are characteristics of God. God has the simplest truth, the most respectable honor, the most righteous justice, the holiest purity, the most beautiful love, and the most praiseworthy excellence. When we act against these things, we act against God. That is why Jesus says in his Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When we are self-aware about how our immorality brings us further away from God, we know to turn around and seek purity instead. So we don't listen to explicit music or watch over-sexualized entertainment because we know the effect that it will have on our hearts by fueling desire for the wrong things. Things that might be exciting in the moment, but ultimately encourage us to seek emptiness rather than the fullness of life which God calls us to. So we don't join mob mentality or blindly believe any news source that has our own political bias because we want our reasonableness to be known to everyone. As Paul said in our last chapter, we don't lie, cheat, steal, or otherwise harm others because we know that seeking our own pride is wrong because God has given us everything in Christ 
So we can and should freely give to others. We aren't being pure and saying no to things that the world says is fine simply because the Bible tells us to. We don't blindly believe that. We believe it, not blindly, but with faith because we know from that Bible that there is so much to life more than pride, sex, and money. And we experience joy and peace from that, from seeking the Lord rather than these things. We know because we have the God of peace with us. And when the God of peace is with us, we know that the Bible is something special and not just another book. We know that it's something written by God who loves us, who wants the best for us. And we have faith. We can trust and believe in that. When we think and act on the virtues that Paul presents, then the God of peace is with us because we aren't putting up walls of immorality between us and him. We aren't seeking ourselves. We are seeking him instead. As the book of James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The act of drawing near to God and knowing peace in him is found in purity because it gets rid of the distractions that draw us closer to ourselves rather than to God. So when it comes to purity, there's no one-size-fits-all answer other than what Paul has clearly given us here. There's no way around it. Seek truth. Seek justice. Seek what is honorable and worthy of praise. Those are the qualities that define the Lord and are virtues that give us peace. This should be great news. Paul isn't saying, you know, God will only be near to you. God will only love you if you read your Bible X amount of times a day, spend X amount of times in prayer. No, this is a response to what God has freely given us. It's a response in accepting it, receiving it by believing in him and having faith in what he tells us. But how does thinking of these things give us peace? You might be convinced that, you know, these things are good, truth, purity, commendable, like those things are good, but how does it give us peace? Well, when you think about truth, you don't have to be anxious about the end of 2020 being worse than its beginning because you serve a God who has overcome the world. And even though there will be pain and suffering, you hold tight to the truth that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. No amount of politics or world events can give God any more or less control or love for us than he already has because the gospel has set us free. God will not have any less power if Biden or Trump wins. He will continue to be God no matter what happens this year, the election, or the next couple of decades. For as long as America lives, he will be in control. When you think of justice, you don't have to be anxious that evil will go unpunished because justice belongs to the Lord. As he said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. When you think about what is honorable, commendable, and excellent, you don't have to worry if something will disappoint or discourage you because you have joy from the Lord's nearness and love, which is worth far more than anything the world could ever give us. And when in doubt, there were always mature Christians like Paul 
who are fantastic representatives of these things. Just as Paul told the church to practice the things they see, receive, and learn from him, you and me should learn and practice that which is taught by mature Christians who have the love to shepherd us, to guide us closer to the Lord. Mature Christians who have a proven record of seeking the Lord rather than themselves. That doesn't mean that we're completely off the hook either. Since our church is made up of us, its members, and its guests, we have a responsibility to seek maturity in the faith because that encourages one another forward and follow the examples of those who above all follow the example of Christ. That attitude and that perspective is not only good for the individual member, but the church as a whole as we continually become a more obedient more loving, and more faithful congregation. Ultimately, we seek purity because we know that it is for the betterment of our hearts, our minds, and our souls. We want peace rather than the burden of immorality and sin that disconnects us from God. Since our sins have been forgiven in Christ, the only thing left to hold us back from a pure life of joy is ourselves. With that, we pray the words of Psalm 119. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So 2020 has not really been the easiest year to seek peace. It's kind of crazy considering that for a lot of us, we get to just hang out at home and work from home. It's a lot easier, right? But it's not really at peace. We're not peaceful. Every day, there seems to be something new to worry about to feed anxieties, or just downright terrify us. But as we learn today from Paul in Philippians 4, our God is the God of peace. And he has graciously given us that peace through fellowship, joy, and purity. Fellowship gives us peace as we worship together and point one another to the importance of Christ and his gospel rather than the things of this world which will pass away. Joy gives us peace because we have so much to be joyful for, which leads us to contentment in Christ. The Lord is near to us, so we should rejoice and pray to him. Purity leads us to uh, peace, because it allows us to throw off the weight of immorality and vices, which hold us back from seeking and knowing God. So, church, congregation, if you are not at peace this morning, I know I'm not, if you are not at peace this morning, if you are concerned about your health, if you're concerned about your job, your country, or this world, peace is found in the Lord, who is the God of peace. So seek fellowship together, as the Lord has given us an incredible bond with each other in Christ, so we may encourage, support, and love one another as he did to us. One incredible way to foster fellowship It's simply to pray together, either after church with masks or just over the phone. Find a time to pray with one another. Come to the Lord together and take heart that he is here and he gives us his fellowship. If you are not at peace, rejoice in thanksgiving and prayer to the Lord, remembering that he is the one who said it is finished while saving us from our sins and writing our names in the book of life promising us joy for eternity with him.
And finally, if you are not at peace this morning, examine your heart. Examine yourselves. And see what you do, what you watch. Is it affecting your heart? Is there something that is affecting your nearness to God? A weight that is holding you down? That pushes you to indulge in yourself rather than love others in Christ? Pray to the Lord as in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Those are the ways that God encourages us to find peace in him. Grow your faith by believing in his promises and his ways rather than your own. Give up the burden of worldly fear and replace it with contentment in the Lord. Give up the burden of pride and replace it with the relief of humility. Give up the burden of ignorance and replace it with the wisdom, the blessing of wisdom from God's word. Come to the God of peace who himself says in Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord, we praise your name that you are God of peace. We praise your name for giving us fellowship, joy, and purity in you. Lord, I pray that as we move forward through 2020, through the rest of our day, our week, our month, our decade, that we would seek you, that would seek joy in you, Lord. Help us to draw near to you. And we praise your name that you have drawn near to us. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.